Welcome back everyone to our weekly webinar series, Successful Strategies for Shaping Your Future, brought to you in partnership by URSA, Club Solutions, and Rex Executive Roundtables. I'm Brent Darden, and this week we're focusing on virtual trends in group fitness and personal training. Joining us uh, as they have every week, my good friends and colleagues, uh, Bill, I mean, Blair McHaney, CEO of MXM and owner of the Works of Wenatchee, and Bill McBride, co-founder, president, and CEO of Active Wellness. And we're really excited about our guests this week. We have Sarah Cooperman, who's the CEO of SCW Fitness Education, and then Sheldon McBee, who's the personal training director at the Universal Athletic Club up in uh, Pennsylvania. So welcome everyone. Thanks again for joining us again this week. Uh, I know you're going to find this session quite stimulating. This is one of the hottest topics out there, digital training, and we're going to have some really frank uh, conversations about uh, how to make the best of that, uh, what to watch out for, and how that might be maturing as an offering for many clubs. So uh, I know you're going to enjoy it. Let me circle back around and let Sarah give a little more introduction of herself. Uh, she knows a lot about this topic because she's been doing uh, conventions and educational services for group exercise instructors and personal training uh, professionals for decades. Um, thank you, Brent. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, SCW Fitness Education has been offering uh, streaming, live streaming certification since October of 2019. And um, we did it in October, we did them in December, we did them again in February. And when the pandemic hit, we really had to pivot. And we offered webinars and we turned all our certifications into live streaming. And then we've been fortunate enough to be able to run three um, conferences, live streaming conferences. So every mistake you can make, we have made, but we've been able to pivot and we've really taken this live streaming model very seriously. And um, I think the trends and virtual training are definitely hot topics now for club owners and managers. Well, and you're in touch with so many of them, so we're looking forward to, to your comments. And then Sheldon, you're at a great facility, a fabulous reputation. Tell us a little bit about uh, your perspective. Yeah, thanks, Brent. And um, I'll start off by thanking everybody for having me on. It's my pleasure to be here with such an esteemed group. Um, I'm, um, I am a part of Universal Athletic Club. We're a beautiful facility in the lovely Lancaster, Pennsylvania, right in the middle of a very rural area, but it's a, it's a great 100,000 square foot facility here, and we do an amazing job catering to our community. Uh, it's a full service facility, many different amenities. I won't get into them all. Of course, personal training is a big pulse and heartbeat of our club. And as Sarah mentioned, you know, we have uh, the pandemic hit us just like everybody else. We had a digital and virtual offering as part of our personal training model before this happened, but it kind of was sitting dormant. And then when this happened, we went to survival mode like everybody else probably did and said, let's Let's wake this thing up and turn it into some life. And then we we tweaked and worked the model to what we think is close to our sweet spot at this point now, where we are uh, we're driving revenue, we're engaging our new members, and and driving great win back and fear of missing out campaigns to re-engage our, our our clients. 
And, um, you know, in our department is right now 65% year over year, which we are actually happy with considering we opened our doors again just in June. So, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to sharing whatever I can and any nuggets I can share with anyone listening today to help them. Yeah, thank you, Sheldon. I appreciate that very much. So let's jump right into it, Sarah. We were talking, you know, before we started the webinar that uh, there were some early adopters to this sort of virtual, digital, uh, online offering, and that was the group exercise professionals. And then it's begun to evolve from there. Can you just share a little with the audience what we were talking about before? Well, it was so it, it was amazing at the beginning of the pandemic that when things shut down. Everybody thought this is going to be a couple of weeks. We'll all be open before Easter. Okay, that was the goal. And the heroes of clubs at this point became the group exercise instructors because they were the ones that immediately were on Facebook, Instagram. They were the ones that just volunteered their services, taught free classes, and jumped right in. And then this pandemic kept going on well past Easter. It's going, getting into May, getting into June. And they had to pivot. They had to figure out how am I going to generate revenue and make some income during this time. And they went and began using Venmo and they used PayPal and they took donations for professional services and started doing it that way personal trainers also pivoted. So these group fitness instructors that normally we think are just followers and scared to ask for money, same with personal trainers. We think, you know, they what do they do? They train. They right. don't really drive the business and ask for revenue. These people pivoted and they learned the business. They're leaders. They wear bra tops, at least the women. They wear bra tops. They sweat. They tell people what to do. People listen to them. And they they turned that around and made that into a revenue stream for themselves. And so I look at this and I do wonder what's going to happen in the future because these people are now making some significant revenue. And how are clubs going to be able to draw those people back in? Right. No, I think that's exactly right. And clubs that have now reopened are finding that part of their challenge with personal training, even more so than Group X, is that they've discovered they can be successful out there on their own, training uh, clients in home and training clients virtually. And so the clubs are, are struggling to get them to come back in. Sheldon, is that something you've experienced there? And how has uh, Universal dealt with that? Well, we've been really fortunate, Brett. We have not experienced the trainer who says, hey, look, it's time for me to take this on my own. Uh, we just have a loyal group. I guess we are lucky or blessed to have that. Uh, when, we, when the pandemic struck, um, at least from my perspective as a director, I tried to be ahead of what could potentially happen. I brought the team together. I told them our plan. This is how we're going to get through this and survive this. This is how I can continue to help you get some revenue in your pocket through the club's efforts while our doors are closed by waking up this virtual model that I can plug you in right now. So you don't have to start fresh with something and start doing your own research. We will do it for you. And so when, when I took that approach, it helped keep the trainers close to us and the facility and kept them from going rogue. That was our plan. It worked. Uh, if there's any other facility right now who's thinking about, hey, look, um, what do I do to mitigate this? It really is a matter of getting them to contribute to what you, how they can contribute to, to the club's growth and getting your, you as a facility to negotiate how to move forward because they'll be more bought into the general direction and less likely to go rogue, hopefully. 
that's what we did. And at this point right now, we found out that some of our trainers were really, really good at this. And some were kind of tripping on the idea of technology. How do I queue and coach online? How do I engage my clients? Right. And it did help us morph a model where we have, what I think Sarah was saying, our rock stars who are now the leaders of our, our online virtual training team who are showing them proof of concept now. And it takes a lot of work to make it, to make it right. Even though I'm sure everywhere around the country and the world, there are those really smart trainers who are entrepreneurial and have figured it out. Um, we were just, we just had to keep them close to us. Yeah. So Blair, you just uh, opened recently and I know you've got personal training is a big part of your offering. What can you add on to that? So we've kind of found the same thing as Sheldon is that we jumped in. I, I think there's, I think the commonality here might be that we're, you know, in rural areas, we're not like, uh, you know, Bill has a much larger organization and probably more prone to having people kind of break out on their own and do their own thing. I think it's probably less likely when you're a smaller organization and the trainers, you know, have an affinity for Sheldon and probably for Rick Castleberry and, you know, and you have these, you have these tight human connections because you're a small organization. There's probably some advantage to that. And then saying, here's the resources that we're going to provide you in order to deliver um, the personal training. So uh, our experience has been very uh, similar to Sheldon's. I want to, and I, and I want to talk about something that Sarah said about the uh, group exercise and figuring out a business model around it, right? So take that same concept. Our group fitness director jumped in. I didn't even know they'd figured it out by the time they figured it out. I'm just looking around, you know, trying to figure out what we have to do next. And I look up and we're live streaming classes and they're doing an awesome job. And over the course of weeks, they're getting better technology and they're doing it better and better. And then pretty soon they have a template designed for the you know for as they come on and a countdown and I'm, I'm thinking holy crap this is awesome the other thing is that think about how long group fitness appears on your PL as an expense right and how people think about that i'll tell you that our group fitness team is so excited about having a revenue line and they're saying right so to be able to charge for these now and to start to bring members on and to actually have a revenue line for their group fitness has been very motivating for them. So I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of them and excited also to have that revenue line. Yeah, uh, cool. I want to just mention something real quick. You, you're scaring me a little bit because I actually, my personal training department takes all the revenue for the uh, for our virtual that our group fitness is not. So I think I hear our group fitness instructor knocking on my door right now, our director. <laughs> I think I want a piece yeah. of that pie here. <laughs> yeah, that's the danger in these things is uh, all of us on the uh, roundtable learn from each other, too. So yeah. I've got a quick question that's coming in from our uh, our audience, and I'm going to let Bill take it first. Bill, they're asking, you know, about uh, what's our thought about these trainers and Group X uh, people being employees versus independent contractors? What's uh, active wellness strategy around that right now? Yeah, my default position is employees. Um, uh, there's states like California that it gets pretty dicey, the difference, you know, and uh, if you're telling them when to teach, what to teach, um, when to be there, you know, it's an employee relationship. Um, I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but I also think there's a cultural piece to it. I want people that are part of the team in, a, in an internal way. Um, I don't mind if my people do things outside of active as independent contractors for others or their own, like, I believe everybody should, you know, do what they can do for their own self-reliance. 
but uh, but I, I tend to stay with uh, employment, um, internal family culture, um, and have the controls and not be trying to uh, manipulate the uh, the employment laws. That's a really good answer from you, Bill, since you're the CEO of Active and you're also the CEO of BMC3 Consulting, which is, uh, you know, an example of that entirely. You're able to do both things really well. Yeah. I yeah. do want to say something else before you move on, Brent, about, about Sarah. Um, you know, we've spent so much time over the years focusing on sales and sales training and operations and customer experience from a physical plant. And what this pandemic has done is it stripped us down to what's the most important service that we provide and that's fitness professionals and fitness expertise and you know um our group fitness and our personal training sometimes they're doing it for different reasons some are money motivated some are doing it because they're just passionate about doing it helping other people you know not doing it for the money but doing it for the lifestyle and and, and so i think you got to look at what's the motivation but really what i find interesting is you know, the most important component of our services, the core of our product has now come to the, the highlight, you know, with group fitness and personal training and fitness expertise. Um, and I, and I think that's, uh, I think that's kind of been not, not at the forefront of people's thinking as operators in the past. It's the same with restaurants. How often do you think about the cooks in the restaurant or the chef? You know, you think about the servers, you think about the ambient, ambient uh, environment, but now people pay to go to the curbside to get their food because they like that food of that chef or that restaurant. You know, so again, this is making businesses really get to their core. I think so, it. Oh, no, go ahead, Sarah. Yeah, jump in, no, please. I think, it's, I think it's very important. I think, Bill, you nailed it. We have to really think about our frontline workers in a fitness center. I love that term. You know, they're the trainers, they're the front desk staff, they're the group fitness instructors, they're the connectors. Club members do not think about somebody in the back office looking at membership numbers and chart of accounts. They think about those people that are in the front. And I will tell you, I think these group fitness instructors are really driven by passion and they're not driven by economics. And they will very easily and quickly come back to the facility if they are wanted back. And even if you dismiss them and ignore them and they feel very cheated, if, if there's just some communication um, by the owners and managers, and I know Sheldon and Blair are very connected with their teams, but if you aren't as connected with your team and you've been disconnected because you've been closed and terrified how you're even gonna pay your rent, just go back and connect with them. They'll very quickly, I think, pivot and come back and work work, work with you. And um, being a lawyer, when I look at should we title somebody as an independent contractor or an employee, I think it's coming into focus that we should think more about them as employees. Because also when you look at the PPP loans, you can't get your loans based on your independent contractors. It's only on your employees. And if your independent contractors aren't paying their taxes, that the government is going to turn around and come back to the club owner, you know, and reposition them. And you're going to end up paying the taxes that your independent contractor hasn't paid. So I, I really believe, you know, I know it's surprising, Bill, but I do agree with you on this. Oh, my God. We, uh, <laughs> We, Sarah, let, me ask, uh, let me ask you a clarifying question on that. 
because I think club owners to to a large extent feel like the trainers and the group X instructors there's a large contingent that really want to be independent contractors I think and I know you're connected with thousands of them and you know what is their spirit are they wanting to be employees or are they wanting to be independent contractors or is it a mixed bag they want to be independent contractors. They want the money in their pocket now. They don't want to have to wait until, you know, December or pardon me, April, May. They don't want to wait until May and then get the dividend check back. So kind of if you approach them and say, this is almost forced savings because the, the money you pay to the government, you're not going to be making enough from my business that they're going to keep your taxes. You will probably get the majority of it back. So this is a way of doing forced savings. They don't like to see that check that's, you know, $85 for the week. They don't want to see $73.50. They want to see the $85. So if it's just simply explained to them, I, you know, either way, the government's taking that, you know, well, that it's actually, $17. Sometimes can be beneficial because of the lower tax bracket and the social security contribution. So, you know, you're matching the social security as an employer. Yep, so Sheldon, how about your staff? Are they all employees or independent contractors? Everybody is an employee, everybody is. And they do sign a, um, a, a non-compete as well to, to, to work here. So they are quite tied to us. And we are sensitive of that as well because they wanna be able to have make a living. And, and so what we aim to do for our personal trainers, especially who are full-time is we, are very selective of who we hire. Um, we avoid having more than two or three or onboarding at any given time so we could devote all the club's attention on building their book. And so we have you know, unique programs and systems that we could plug the trainer in to hopefully start driving up their revenue and income efficiently. And so we just, we, we think it's best for us to have employees. Plus from a cultural standpoint, we like knowing that they're bought into the club, the club's mission and the general direction of the facility, so it protects us and it protects them. Well, to several of your points, and any of you can uh, pick this topic up, but you know, we, we're recognizing more than ever the value of the expertise of these health and fitness professionals that are in touch with the members on a very personal level often, and there's been a trend and a resurgence of celebrating them more than in the past. What are some good examples that you guys have seen or that you've done yourself to sort of bring them to the forefront of your value proposition and your marketing? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in there on that one. And, and, and I think the answer is our topic, virtual, right? I think that's one of the ways that you just bring them to the forefront and, um, you know, and make them even, even more rock stars. And I, and I like this trend, right? Where we are saying, okay, let's stop fighting this people you know do love kathleen let's put kathleen <laughs> let's highlight kathleen and ask you know and have her profile show what her favorite song is and what whatever right um and just learn a lesson from peloton and and soul cycle and equinox and others that have just you know they've they've done fabulous by making them a rock star i do want to go back on this last question and and on employee versus um uh, uh, a contractor because if you if and I and I, I knew how Sheldon would answer that question because I know Universal Athletic Club and if you are tied in and you understand your purpose and strategy and if it has to do with helping people and getting them better you're gonna have employees 
you're not going to you, you you won't have contractors. You wouldn't outsource your core competency someplace else. That core competency should be part of who you are. And you do cultural onboarding, and you want to make sure that people are aligned to the mission and aligned to the vision. They're employees. I've seen uh, companies we work with switch their entire housekeeping from being outsourced to employees for that very reason. So I think that's I think that's critical to executing a real customer-centric strategy is, is that they're employees. I love the trend of making those trainers and those instructors more and more rock stars. And I think it makes them, if we do this right, and I've said this before, one of the areas that we need to innovate at, if, if virtual follows this trend, it becomes as big as sort of how we're thinking about it, one of the key areas for us to innovate is on compensation and get them higher paid for the work that they're doing. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they would certainly argue with that at all. Um, so, Bill, uh, you know, one of the questions we told the audience we'd talk about just to take it to a higher level about the clubs for just a minute was how these virtual offerings sort of change the typical membership model for clubs. And I'll let you answer that one first, Bill. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So Apple Fitness Plus is out now, right? $9.99 a month or $79.99 a year. All right. So that sets a, an expectation in the marketplace. And if you look at Apple, a lot of their bolt-ons are 10 bucks a month. Um, if you subscribe to the phone service on the watch, it's $10 a month per line. You know, they use this $10 price point a lot for, for their group. And then you go to SoulCycle with their new bike out and you go to Peloton with their bike out and it's 39, right? Um, so you've got this range of 9.99 to 40 bucks that people are charging for in, in the marketplace on a broader scale. And like it or not, that does create a perception in the marketplace for the consumers on, on what the price points are for these kinds of virtuals. So where do you fit into that model? Um, I'm, I'm, in the virtual space with with our programming but we're not we're not there yet on what products we're going to use to deliver some of them require a per month fee or per class fee per person um, some of them want to own the data some of them um, have different contractual obligations so trying to find um, the right solution for you for your revenue model because everybody else in the space is trying to monetize their revenue models as well you know all of the virtual on-demand providers all have their own issues with trying to make you know profit and so um what i'm finding is a lot of the product that we're looking at you know there's these per fee prices and and and, and so on so and there's a lot out there right now you know we're looking at uh, at Vimeo or Vim, Vimeo, I might be, be saying it wrong. Um, we're looking at Lyft. You know, we've, we've got some experience with Bernalong, uh, but um, we're looking at Mind Body Solutions. So I think you got to go into it um, very, very methodically on how are we going to position it, price point, which providers am I going to use to put together my tech stack in order to deliver the way I want to deliver. And, and Sarah, you mentioned earlier, and I agree. You can do it with an iPhone. I mean, with an Apple phone, you know, you can do it with very limited budget, but you do have to do it strategically, and you do have to do it well thought out. And that's where, when we were discussing this before the webinar turned on, was I think that we should start it. You should start it very economically. Figure out your model first, and then go in and invest on a higher level. Because I was using the example of Export Fitness that 
they're actually there, this was several years ago, but their oldest facility, I think this is when they had 26 clubs, their oldest facility, which really did not have the state-of-the-art equipment and um, the bells and whistles of the newer facilities, that oldest facility had the highest net promoter score. And Brent, just to define it for you, a net promoter score is... <laughs> <laughs> this is a way to indicate that I would recommend this facility to others. And so this older facility was the one, I know I'm just trying to be sensitive, but this older facility was the one that regained the, you know, the most people. And, and I do agree with Blair that these instructors and these trainers, when you're dealing with virtual, they love the exposure. They love the appreciation. They love the connection. They crave it and, and it's passion. And I don't, I hate to say this, I know, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going back on my own kind, but I don't really think it's a lot about the money, okay? I just don't. Because even though I could be in my backyard teaching four people a yoga class at 10 bucks each, I would still go back and teach at the club for 20 bucks each. You know, yeah, but Sarah, but Sarah, don't you think for some people, it may not be about the money that they're not doing it because they make a lot of money, but they also are insulted if you're not paying them a market rate for uh, for what oh, yeah. they should. So, so there's a difference between compensation for motivation and being treated equitably and fairly. So, so would you agree with that? Or Yes, I would agree with that. And I also think that they, they would leave to get a, an extra two dollars an hour at another facility if they feel that they're being appreciated again and i think being made a rock star like blair mentioned would do a lot towards compensation and i also think that people love to have their education paid for you know whether sometimes it's that pre-choreographed release kit um, we see this a lot with our water in motion program that the clubs, the instructors feel very connected if the facility is paying for their release kit or paying for their continuing education. That's something that means that is a value to an instructor and a trainer. Yeah, so yeah. comments about compensation. I'm coming back to you, Shelvin. Hold on one second. Just there's like four, five, six. There's all these uh, questions coming in. And of course, their group exercise uh, professionals or personal trainers may want to talk more about compensation, especially Blair's comment that they all need to be paid a lot more than they're getting paid right now. So they want to know, <laughs> Blair, what does that mean? Uh, and then they want to know, uh, maybe Shelvin, you can go after Blair answers this very shortly, hopefully, and I'll turn it to you about compensation. Go ahead, Blair. Well, let's imagine that you put a virtual program out there that's wildly successful and it becomes a really good revenue line, right? What's the matter with the revenue share with the instructors? You know, what's the matter with actually sharing, having them share in that business model? And what I'm talking about, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine and I believe Peloton instructors started off getting paid $600 a class and some stock options. By the way, their stock hit like $117 so far today. Um, that's It was $20 a share a few months back, if you don't, if you don't remember this on Peloton. But that, that's what, think about that model. And then think about what if in, in our world, if this is wildly successful, if it goes where we think it's going to go, why not 100 bucks a class if they're making that kind of a contribution? I'm thinking about when you're adding a lot of value to a company, how do we allow them to extract more value? Because they're adding a big layer of value. Now, 
the business has to prove itself out. I have said, we don't know if we're over-indexing on virtual and its potential to be a huge part of every club set and be a real revenue driver. We don't know. We don't know because we don't have anything to go off of yet. But if it gets there, I, I, I feel like that's an area to innovate. And I think somebody would not, I, I mean, I think, it'd be, I think then your operation becomes even much stickier. And I totally agree that these instructors are not out there doing this because for the money. You're, hell, you're teaching you know, five, six, seven classes a week at whatever, 25, 35 bucks a class. But what if you're teaching five classes a week at 100 bucks a class because of the revenue that it's bringing in and the value that it's bringing into the organization? And one of the one of the Let best. I'll jump in just because he hasn't he hasn't had a chance yet for a little while. Go ahead, Sheldon. You've been waiting patiently. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. So um, I want to kind of combine what we were talking about, like membership offering and how it's been affected, and this idea of putting that coach, that trainer at the forefront of marketing, making them the face of this, and it would actually relate to pay. Um, we found at our facility that the idea of this one-on-one -on -one private training and all that was becoming an antiquated at university. It was, we are much more of a small group training, team training facility. About 80% of our revenue comes from that world. And we're finding a lot of our clients, the avatar client we have, just prefers that type of community. And so when we were looking at how do we position virtual to work for us and not necessarily try to compete with these big players, we said we need to work from the inside out. When we do start acquiring new members, they're not anymore buying a membership to the club. They're getting a subscription to a lifestyle. That subscription will then belong to a trainer. You may not, we may have trainers here now in the future. We just built out this model. We're building it out, actually adjusting it now where the trainer may no longer count the reps for them every day. They might just say, look, I'm going to check on you every week. I'm going to make sure to go to your class. I'm going to check your biometric data because I see it in real time and be there for you when you're in the facility and out. It is just where we are taking Universal's personal training through next year. And it allows the trainer to become the central point of that particular set of clients lifestyle versus a rep counter. Anybody can count someone's reps but it takes a unique and gifted person to in inject themselves into someone's lifestyle on a daily, real-time basis. So that then goes into, well, how do you compensate someone for this kind of thing? And I agree with Blair that for us, we pay all of our trainers a flat percentage of their EFT. If you bring in a certain amount of EFT every two weeks, we're giving you a percentage of that. If it grows, your revenue is gonna grow. We're not gonna pay you by each check-in that you do. And we find that our trainers have paychecks that are much more steady. They, they continually grow over time as their roster of clients grow. And we did the exact same thing with their virtual client base. So their clients subscribe on a biweekly basis for access to their trainer and the team that they belong to. And so because of that, they get a much bigger swell in pay over time as their roster slowly grows. And so because of that, they're incentivized to grow their roster. They're working for themselves and the client and the facility. I think that's a way is if anyone is listening and you're kind of thinking, okay, what do I do in terms of uh, doing something relevant to my business yet not trying to compete with these big players? We started from the inside out and it has worked. We're able to drive revenue really quickly by subscribing people to a trainer. Yeah, I love that idea. Uh, we did some of that back in my club, you know, many years ago and the whole 
concept of variable pay for trainers uh, that's not tied to packages, but to the lifestyle coaching is uh, a proven one in some of the top performing clubs over the years. Absolutely. So Sarah, back to you. Sorry to cut you off early. Your turn. Oh, I was just thinking that a lot of times it's hard to just blatantly shift your pay scale for your group fitness. If you're paying $15 an hour, $25 an hour for a program. But Lifetime Fitness did something really interesting where um, it, it actually happened with me. I was teaching a yoga class that was packed. I was having 55 people in, in a yoga class three times a week. So what they did is in the smaller yoga studio, they said, Sarah, we're going to take away Friday from you and we're going to charge and we can only allow 15 people in this class, but you're going to be able to make, you know, 10 bucks a head and they're gonna charge 20 bucks a head. And so I kept my regular salary at my group fitness rate because supposedly I was one of those, you know, rock stars, whatever. And then, and I said, oh, I don't wanna give up. I feel so bad for my regular clients. Well, when they told me the money, I was like, bye-bye. I'm going, I'm gonna do this small group training model in for a group fitness class. So I think shifting things that way may make it economically feasible or financially advantageous, both for the facility and for the instructor. So I'm getting, yeah, Blair, I'm coming right back to you because the first thing that I need you to answer is what's your email address? Because people want to send you their resumes. Uh, quote, I want to make $100 an hour. Can I get Blair's email? So <laughs> you know, can I just re, you know, re-say that one more time that it's a variable pay scale. They're adding value and of that value, you're sharing it, but you're not just paying everybody a hundred bucks a class. <laughs> oh, hell no. And uh, yeah, um, it, it, although uh, we did experiment with that for anybody that would do a fully themed class once a week, we experimented with that. And that meant that they had to have a lot more production time it was modeled after Peloton, um, but my what I was saying is, what if? And I think we need to be thinking about this. I love what Sheldon. I love what Sheldon was laying out there. That's sort of the what if scenario. How do we get to that point? So we got to get to that point by if virtual works again. If if this is if we're not over indexing on this, and if it becomes a revenue driver and it becomes a significant revenue driver. I believe that those instructors should be able to share in that and whether it's a percentage like Sheldon's doing or whether it's a flat, you know, fee for the people that are good Lord. If you're teaching a class and you have 700 people in it, you know, isn't that just a great extension of the brand? I mean, to me, that is different than having 15 people in what will now be very limited size classes. And what Sarah's talking about, like what happened at Lifetime is you know early on when we started to talk about this in the limited spaces and everything bill brought up he said you know there should probably be some experimentation around uh, um charging for these maybe you have both maybe you have a class that you know has 30 people in it and that's free on the schedule but there's going to be limited access classes and those limited access classes maybe those are only 10 people and those are going to cost you 20 dollars there's that so there's one there's one place to drive revenue the other place is remember just go look at what soul cycle does on their reservation system and i think it's gone up i think super soul is for the year is now somewhere around thirty five hundred dollars that's just simply for the right to schedule early that's it so people are seeing value in certain pieces here 
and the, and I that the business model is going to change both for the the in-person classes already starting to see the spear point of that happening right now but also on the virtual I really believe that at, if that's a big revenue driver that it would be a great place to benefit the uh, the rock stars so let me segue a little bit because we'd be remiss if we didn't take advantage, Sarah, of some of your data and some. I know Blair loves that word data, but you have it around what the personal trainers and the group exercise instructors are interested in, what kind of certifications they're seeking, what are the top trends, uh, and no disparities to some of the other uh, organizations out there. But we've debated a little bit about some of the information they're disseminating about what's the most popular, right? So based on the facts that you've seen through your organization, what are just some of the top trends as far as Group X and PT? Well, interesting. I love Sheldon's comment when he talked about being almost a lifestyle consultant, you know, those personal trainers having that, that capability. One of the things that I find so interesting is when we finish our conventions, um, we have people submit a survey. And so we have, it is, we're over 1,700 results from just the past three events that we've done. Not everybody submits a survey, but to get 1,700 responses in three months, and it, it is, is really interesting. And to see the difference of pre-pandemic to pandemic numbers was, was fascinating. The number one trend is active aging. Number two, is functional training. Number three is nutrition or nutrition coaching. And that's where, Sheldon, I think that whole lifestyle, and that really goes a little bit beyond what we think of the traditional fitness professional, diving into nutrition. Oh my goodness, are we getting into you know a grounds we shouldn't go in. And then I see, then it's strength training and then it's core and then it goes, and then all the way down the list, is high intensity interval training is hit now you look at acsm guidelines and hit i think was like number one so it's it's i'm seeing what are the trends and but pre-pandemic active aging wasn't number one functional training was number one and nutrition was way up there but strength training was a little bit lower so i'm seeing a little bit more of a push during the pandemic how am i going to get my strength training how am I going to deal with these active agers? Because they're the ones that want the training. Younger people are figuring out, I'm just going to go outside. I'm going to go running. I'm going to go walking. I'm going to play tennis or golf. The other thing we're seeing is um, sports-specific training because people are playing more tennis because it's socially distanced. You know, um, pickleball training. I love that. I'm embarrassed to say I'm taking pickleball lessons. So wow. proud. For you. I, know. I know I'm branching out. I'm like, I'm really hitting the suburbs hard. And and these are fascinating. And our certifications still, still our online certifications, the three top ones are group exercise, personal training, aquatics, you know, the, the three ring circus there of the top. Um, and then meditation and yoga right afterwards meditation and then you know meditation are you kidding me it never even hit the top 20 before and now it's it's number four and that's with online which is recorded and then our live stream the top three are, are the number one which weirded me out was pilates 
I thought Pilates was dead. Okay, wow. number one was Pilates. And then of course, personal training in group X. And then number four, yoga. And number five, very, very close behind it was the active aging. And where do we see bar? Where do yeah. we see? Yeah, not there. You don't see it. Nope. So, but again, you have to look at the SCW statistics that this is what's going to happen four months from now. Right. Okay. This is what's happening four months from now. These people want to know what to do to grow. So I thought, thank you for, for asking that question, Brent. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Great information. I think the audience is really enjoying that. Uh, we're getting a, you know, a ton of questions. Sheldon, I'm going to throw it back to you to answer. You know, there's a collection of these, but it's around the, you know, sort of the compensation, how you're selling personal training and uh, getting away from packages and those sort of things. Can you speak to that a little deeper for everyone? Okay, sure. Um, of course, uh, I'll, I'll go back about seven, eight years ago. We were a facility that was driven by private one-on-one -on -one personal training. Everything was sold in packages and there were a bunch of other things that we did to help push that along. Uh, what really got us to, to think differently was when we licensed the MBSE Thrive products. We brought that into the facility and we started working with them and you know, everything switched to say, you know, that particular program is gonna go on a bi-weekly billing where every two weeks we'll bill the client for access to this particular coach two to three times a week. And we just started to see that there were, it was a much better way to essentially bill an EFT for us, it worked great. On the other side of the fence, where all these private personal trainers still doing, you know, the one-on-one -on -one package paying pools, and um, we started to grow our small group, and I saw our private PT kind of steady out. And then we said, well, that's all functional, and we wanted a three-prong approach to our small group, which is function, look better, and move or perform better. And it's like a, it's kind of a, a triad of training we use. All those were, were to go into a small group training EFT biweekly model. Well, it required a real shift in how we build people, how we market it, and how we pay people. The three things we had to deal with. So we essentially um, did this. We recruited the right trainers to partake in that kind of training when it was time to launch it. And we just started fresh with the model. This model is gonna be X amount every two weeks for access to the coach. And then um, we still currently do have our pay in full models, but we just don't use it as much. Those trainers right now, they used to get paid per check-in, even if you're on EFT. If I check you in, you get paid. We stopped doing that because, um, you know, a client might go away, they might go on vacation, they might freeze their account, they may cancel, um, or perhaps they don't, they don't come into enough sessions and their sessions begin to accumulate with a 30-day expiration on these. And we just caught ourselves having to do too many makeups, too many refunds, we caught it too late, so we stopped the noise and said, that we are switching over to primarily a kind of a use it or lose it model. All these sessions expire after 17 days and we are going to pay the actual trainer a percentage of whatever their roster's EFT is every two weeks directly into their paycheck. And they are, they are incentivized to grow their book because every time that their roster hits a certain um, um, revenue threshold, their percentage jumps from 35 to 37 to 42 to 45 it jumps, right. so they're incentivized to grow their book. And that just created a new energy with the coaches. They felt safe, secure, and they were easily able to manage their clients' usage, regardless of us taking away that 17-day or that 30-day expiration. 
And to, to this day, we just see the pay, trainers' paychecks not doing this right. all the time. And that's what we needed. Excellent. Excellent. So let's let's go back to the virtual because that's uh, part of what people are wanting as well as this really great information. We're getting a ton of questions, more than we could ever possibly answer. But uh, what are some of the common downfalls that we're seeing uh, related to, you know, the virtual platform and what you're offering? Uh, what platforms, if you don't mind sharing, that you're using to offer your virtual? And then what are some of the mistakes you feel like people are making? I, I think one of the main... I think one of the main drawbacks to virtual training is people are living on their screens all day. Okay. You're living on your screen. Why do I want to go back down in my basement and look at a screen again? Um, Mm -hmm. That's one thing that's happening. Um, I also, I don't want clubs to think this is a really strong revenue source. We've been doing a lot of webinars at SCW and we've been interviewing a lot of um, uh, uh, people from foreign countries that are a little bit ahead of us in this timeline. Well, a lot of us are ahead of us now because everybody's getting COVID here in the USA, although we won't talk about any politics. But anyway, so they're ahead of us as far as as far as some of the opening and they're not seeing virtual being a revenue driver. Again, it seems to be more of the cost of doing business. And of course, um, it, it, poor visibility, poor sound, things like that. Although I think people need to know that if they update their Zoom, they, Zoom has done a much better job of integrating music and video, but you have to go into your system and you have to update it. Um, that's one of the things that I see is that I worry about it's just kind of too much stream time, which is not bad because that means they want to get back to the gym. Yeah, Bill? Yeah, so um, gratuitous plug for URSA and CBI. Um, this month's edition has a whole thing on a lot of companies that are doing virtual as well as the digital signage. And some of the companies that are highlighted in, in this month's edition of CBI, Zero In, which is the signage solution we use, um, digital signage, um, LG, uh, digital signage, Wellbeats, Wexer, uh, Function, Less Bills, Active Solutions, Club Ready. All are in the magazine highlighted with what they do in the digital and virtual spaces. Um, you've also got Forte, um, MindBody, MyZone Remote, uh, Lyft, Vimeo, Fitness on Demand. Um, you know, so there's a lot of product out there. Um, some of it's in the streaming on demand, and some of it's just in the virtual, you know, digital arena. So you know, get educated on the different products. Um, CBI's got a lot of good resources. Some of the other ones I named, um, you've heard of. Um, Burn Along, we've talked about in the past. Um, great product there. So, you know, you've got, um, I'm looking at a, at a group. Um, good friend of mine, Alex Buffington, is now working for a group called ViewScreen.tv. So we're, we're looking at, uh, at those guys. So there's a lot of good product out there. Um, you know, OpenFit.com is another one, um, similar to Groker, you know, so there's a lot of product out there. So educate yourself on the various products to see where they fit in. And in, oh, Shelly, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna, I'll tell you about Universal's experience with all of this, cause we kind of, you know, back in March, we did the whole Zoom thing. We jumped right on Zoom and started using it. Now we already had a um, an app license. We have My Gym that's running Jonas and we also have Virtua Gym 
as well, you know, so we've got these two things, right? And so we said, well, we need to have that on demand. We want people to go in and do the workout they want to do whenever they feel like it or and or do a live experience and be able to plug into a semi-private training session. So we we added this big checklist of these must do's. Really interesting. I says because, you know, as Bill was mentioning, we were looking at all these companies, Forte, Lyft, MindBody, um, Uscreen, DeCast, uh, Burn Along. We, we, we ended up using Vimeo to drive our group fitness stuff. We, but we had to make a pretty significant investment to get our studios to have the right camera system, the uh, the box to unify the message. Uh, it is a big investment, and it's a lot of work to do it really, really well. You could just put it on an iPhone. However, I will say this. If you want to do it really well, it is hard to do that. If you're someone like me, the personal training director, and let me see, it's just too much. We had to get someone on staff who all they did all day long was get our technology right, live it, breathe it all day long. They had another job, but that was their job. And it, it was the only way we were able to do the research, vet it, make sense of it, and get it on its feet. If, if it's too much bandwidth. So anyone listening right now, don't try to tackle this like one day at a time. I'll just take bite-sized chunks every day. You need someone who's focused on this because you because there's not everyone, not everyone has an open API and is willing to talk to each other's data. Some people are. One co company A will do this, 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 and not that thing you need. And this one will do this, 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 and not that other thing you need. So you have to be able to have a long-term relationship with whoever you decide to do business with, and they need to have that open API that will allow you to have all the functionality you want. Get someone on staff who, who's going to live this. We are happy with Vimeo. However, we are shopping the big players like Forte and Lyft and all that as well. Um, but that's kind of all I want to say on that. So just, yeah. to, just to make one comment about Sheldon, um, think of it as a tech stack. What technologies am I going to put together, not just for what they do, but how they play well with the other technologies you use? And uh, and and I appreciate you mentioning uh, Virtual Gym because uh, we're very very happy with them on a lot of our programming aspects. Um, yep. So go ahead, Brent. Sorry. That's all right. No, I'm just going to respond to the audience real quick to say um, they were wanting a list of what you rattled off, Bill. And so I think we can do that with the follow up that's coming out after this webinar. Uh, there's an email that sort of summarizes some of these things. So some of the information and the references that people are making, uh, as long as you're logged in, we can send that out as a, as a follow up like we do every single week. Um, and then secondly, this, the magazine the bill references, CBI, it's URSA's industry magazine, and you can find that information there. And then finally, now I'll go back to you, Blair. Well, I just got to pile. I, I, what Sheldon said is so freaking spot on, man. I mean, this can consume you. And think about our industry because it's important for URSA. It's important for Club Solutions. It's important that when we think about our industry, we think that you know remember this is a very fractured industry most of health and fitness is made up of small players and we need to be thinking about those players that don't quite have the resources where everything that we just named might be thinking like holy crap you know what is all that how do i put all that together where there's probably a business opportunity out there for somebody to go from club to club and just understand these solutions know what your systems are and actually consult and put something together. But I, I, I think that is so spot on. We brought in somebody that really completely understood AV. We upgraded cameras. The thing we haven't done 
that Sheldon's talking about, if you're really gonna stream is, how are you gonna do your live classes when everybody's back in, right? Because it's one thing to have your studio set up. It's one thing to bring in two or three instructors and have them teach a class outward, but to really evolve this program, if, you really, if your program really matures, then you're gonna do what Sheldon's talking about. And now, does that instructor come in and push a button and suddenly that camera's you know, all set up and they can just teach? Or is that more man hours of somebody else? So I mean that so thinking about how your program is gonna mature, I think is gonna be really important. We define the elements and then you know what does it look like as you as you move up. Uh, Bill said something early on, you can start off small, but you still better look professional. Yeah. Well but, and, oh sorry, and I and I agree with that. You do have to start out small and look professional, but you can't just think about how am I gonna do my camera and how is this going to integrate with my website you also have to think about royalty free music how are you going to do your waivers of liability how are you going to set up your lights your camera your action i mean it it people have thought about this scw we created a four-hour program with a 35-page manual on how to do virtual training and sheldon is it's it's not it, you Everybody makes fun of me when we do our webinars that I've got my 28 point checklist, but there is a checklist, there is a system and we, we have it put together for the instructor and the trainer to be able to coach them to be able to present uh, uh, correctly in a model. Um, and I think it's important that we look at these, these elements as well. And one thing I do wanna say is we haven't even talked about water exercise. That was that was it was still on our top ten. It was at the bottom because water exercise always is, but it wasn't at the bottom of our thirty-five, you know, uh, uh, list. Um, water exercise is one of the safest environments to be in, according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. The chemicals in our pool have six times the amount needed to kill a virus, to kill the coronavirus, and we can't just think about that one person doing that lap lane, that old man in the back doing the lap lane. We are seeing virtual, um, the aqua classes, not virtual classes as much, except if people live in Atlanta or let's say, or Florida, but we're seeing the aqua classes are sometimes one of the first to fill up when our clubs do open. So that's something we also need to pay attention to. Well, can I, I say something? Bill out to, because he swims in the last lap lane all the time. But uh, <laughs> also, to answer what the crowd's saying, just one one thing is they're asking about the music licensing, and this has come through five or six times on our question. Yeah. Can you speak to that, Sarah? What do people need to really be at least aware of? Well, what what happens is when you pay your ASCAP and your BMI license fees, which all our facilities should do, if they contact you. You pay the minimum, don't let them in your facility, don't talk to them, don't tell them how many speakers you have, how many members you have. Just pay the minimum and shut them down. They don't have enough people on staff to actually police. So you should be fine in that regard. But that is that is not, um, a, a, that's a mechanical license, that's not a synchronization license. That means that if I, if Sheldon is going to be teaching his small group training, and let's say there's music playing, um, if, if it's live streaming, you're pretty much okay. You can use iTunes, you can use Spotify, you can use whatever music you want if it's live streaming. 
But if you're going to record that and then be able to save it and sell it in an on-demand package, which you guys would be foolish not to do because you're paying your instructor once and then you get to leverage it and use it again later, that's where you need to use the royalty-free music. Um, Power Music came up with a site. It's called, this is difficult, royaltyfreemusic.com. Okay, just one big long string, royaltyfreemusic.com. Pretty inexpensive. I think it's like 50 bucks a month, something like that. But it's, it, and they've got, I don't even want to know how many albums. It's well over about 60 albums at this point that instructors can use at various tempos. And what it does is it's music that's not, that's not as well known okay and it maybe doesn't have as many words it's not as exciting but most in most instructors are using this so it, it is valuable and waivers of liability are a real big concern at this point yeah. because you have to think about this are you really liable for someone who's exercising online in a recorded session or in a live streaming session are you really going to be liable so maybe a declaration is important, but you should definitely have that waiver of liability in any registration document you have. And I would also encourage everyone when they have those waivers of liability or they're really called informed consent forms, when they have those informed consent forms, include that I'm gonna use your image in video and in photos and i can use it um not just for not-for-profit reasons but to make money and so i can use your imagery etc um i hope that answered it yeah i think it did and i just want to make one point before we uh, wrap things up here and that is we had uh Ken Rennig, he's called the insurance guy in the health club industry, he does a great job. And he was coaching uh, one of our roundtables just uh, yesterday that these waivers need to be maybe renamed as assumption of risk, uh, that there are a lot of courts that are not even recognizing anything that has waiver attached in its description. So changing that and then also if you are going to jump on board and let these instructors and personal trainers do training outside your club and people's homes and all that, your waivers probably don't cover that and they need to be re, uh, revisited. So we have about two minutes left. So uh, any quick points of uh, closing to wrap it up and I'll let Bill go first. Yeah, um, we use the word remote training. Um, to cover parks and virtual and so we've redone our waivers and and you can google photo video releases and and get um, get some language on your, your video releases um, one, one quick last point Brent we've talked a lot about group fitness there's a big opportunity in one-on-one -on -one virtual personal training there's a big opportunity in kids training there's a big opportunity in seniors as Sarah brought up earlier there's a big opportunity in yoga and meditation so um, there's even opportunities in cooking and registered dietitian services. So don't think traditional, think broader on the skill sets that your your organization can can fulfill for the marketplace. Uh, they're great, Bill. Yeah, really good. I know we had several weeks ago uh, some personal training uh, individuals on talking about the virtual. It's definitely up and coming. Blair, closing comments. I just say if you're not if you're not doing anything, just get started. Um, you know, and if you're uh, if you're smaller, a club, smaller organization, 
just focus on your people getting out to your community, kind of make that the impetus, and then see what grows from there. Yeah, good advice. Good advice, Sheldon. Yeah, I concur with Blair. Uh, start from the inside out. You know, your people trust your brand. They trust you. Work with them first. We're not ready to be in the facility yet. They'll, they'll more than likely work with what you're trying to create. Uh, and then put some put some staff bandwidth on this effort. It does truly work. And really consider, as far as one-on-one -on -one personal training, the, the, the idea of the lifestyle coach using real-time biometric data to be a, an evolution that's unique right now is, uh, is another real possibility. Yeah. Great, great job today, Sarah. Um, I wanna encourage all of you also, when you open your facilities, cause thank goodness it'll be when, make sure you have a separate informed consent form or waiver of liability or assumption of risk, whatever you wanna call the document that specifically focuses on COVID. Okay, that's one thing. I would also caution everybody. I think kids is a huge market out there, but just so you know, the parent cannot waive the responsibility or the obligation of the, of the child. They cannot waive that liability. So if they sign a release form, if your kid, I have four boys that play travel hockey, I sign a release form that, that if my kid gets injured in hockey, I won't sue. It, it won't hold up on court because you cannot waive the rights for another person. Interesting. Um, hey, Sarah. And, Sarah? Yes. Just real, real quick. We, we changed ours to um, infectious disease, including COVID, um, because there's probably going to be other COVIDs besides COVID-19 and other infectious disease issues. So we kind of made ours broader to last beyond this epidemic. And that's what we did at SCW as well. We have our general waiver of liability that includes an assumption of the risk, which says, I assume that I could get broken bones, sprain my ankle, miscarry, die, um, contract a bacteria or virus, blah, 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 blah. But then you need a separate, unique document. Actually, Bill, you brought that up to, to my attention and we researched it. So you do, that's, that's very smart. Um, and then my last thing is connect with your frontline workers as a club owner and manager, those, those, those um, rock star instructors and, and guru personal trainers. Great. Well, audience, thank you again for joining us uh, today. It was uh, some really fabulous information based on the comments and their interactivity from the listeners. They got a lot uh, from all of you. We may have to revisit this uh, topic again. It's broader than you can cover, obviously, in an hour. So uh, thank you again for joining us this week. Hope you join us again next week. Be the salt and the light, everybody. Bye. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.